0: Diving into data. Diving. Di- diving. D- d- data. Diving into data with TC Riley. Hello, hello, hello again, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Diving into Data. I am your host TC Riley. How are we doing out there? How's everyone doing? You staying healthy? Staying good? Work going well? It's good to hear. Got an exciting show for you guys today be titled the times they are changing employees and education so shout out to the late great bob dylan for lending us that little title there but the times are changing when it comes to employees and workforces and the education world it's uh, really been kind of shaken up in the last few months um, even in the last couple weeks specifically so the two main topics today Um, We're talking about employees. Um, We're going to dive into the restriction of H-1B visas um, by the Trump administration recently. Um, Again, this is not a political show. You're not going to hear any political commentary. I don't get into that stuff, and I'm sure not going to do it on a radio show, but we are gonna look at the stats and the facts and why this matters, especially being a data show. Um, This H1B visas are absolutely relevant to the data world, the data market, the data industry, however you wanna kind of classify it and everything tech related. Um, So we're gonna talk about what happened, why it matters, um, what the news is and what it's gonna impact um we're gonna dive in I, I think the best testament to this is some of the reactions we've seen from different companies and national organizations and how they've responded to this and we're also really going to dive into the risks that this pose the future of american technology the future of american companies um what this could do if this is truly a long-term thing um, it's not necessarily right now it's it's just through the end of the year but um, we're going to dive into that and really look at what the impact of that announcement is and our second main topic today It's going to be around online learning um, and online education specifically for higher education institutions. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the K-1 visa issue um, with some of the stuff this fall that students are going to deal with for universities going entirely online. Um, We're going to talk about. Uh, Frankly, is it worth it right now to be paying the tuition to go to a large school and uh, what you're going to get from that experience, uh, especially if it's all remote or online compared to other options out there? Um, We're going to pass on a little advice for students and who benefits from this um, from a great interview I found that I learned a lot from. Um, We're also going to touch on non-traditional degrees, um, something really cool going on with EY, um, formerly Ernst Young um what they're doing and whether that's going to be uh, what the future looks like so sit back relax grab a drink if you choose to do so make sure you practice some social distancing let's go dive in some data Alrighty, for our first topic today for the times they are changing it's around employees and specifically we're talking about h-1b visa restrictions and the change in that program Um, As always, got a couple of awesome sources that really helped me out here. I want to give a shout out to um, E-Finance Careers had a great article um, talking about how bankers and consultants lamented Trump's H-1B visa cancellation, Uh, looked at the Economic Times, a sub uh, source of the India Times um, from H-1B saga, much ado about something, um, an interesting perception there and kind of take from someone not in the U.S. Um, We had a awesome MIT technology review article it was titled trump's freezes on visas could threaten the u.s dominance in ai obviously when we're talking about the risk we'll dive into that and then fortune magazine um, had an online article america you're making a big mistake in canada thanks you it's a little bit of an opinion piece but i think it has some real relevant stats and information i want to share so shout out to those sources that we will be referencing for the next few minutes here but h1bv says what am i talking about what happened so uh, a week or two ago the trump administration froze the issuance of new h-1b visas through the end of 2020. again it's important to understand exactly what happened froze the issuance of new h-1b visas through the end of 2020. two things there issuance of new visas so this does only apply to first-time applicants not those already in the country um, For me, finance careers um, again, I'm not a legal expert in H1B visas and how that will be impacted long-term, but right of now it's a freeze on new visas. Um, and it's also through the end of 2020. This is not a permanent thing. Um, however, obviously, uh, that's just what it is today it could very well extend beyond that it could be changed um, we're going to look through the scope of what we know sitting here today in the middle of july and then the other piece of this obviously what happened okay well they is these what are h1b Says maybe some of you aren't familiar if, if you never really dealt with hiring if you've never dealt with um, international uh, co-workers or employees or anything like that um, in the most simple terms, H-1B visa is a visa that temporarily allows foreign workers in specialty occupations to work within the U.S. Um, a lot of times, when people think about this, they immediately go to IT, um, but that's not actually the case. Where it's all IT jobs. Um, there's also huge populations in the workforce in the data world, in the finance world, in the consulting world, and in many other industries um, that were hit hard by this announcement and how it's going to impact. Um, so, why does this matter? Why why are we talking about this? Why is this the you know the topic? that we've chosen today. And again, in the most simple terms, why this matters, this is going to significantly impact the ability for U.S. firms to hire talent from around the world, to hire top talent from around the world. Um, These kind of freezes and stuff have been used temporarily in the past to try to combat the unemployment rate. Um, One of the main arguments is that, hey, if you're giving too many of these um, high-skilled jobs to foreign workers, we don't have those high-skilled job positions for U.S. workers to advance and grow. Um, There's actually... Uh, it's been proven to not really actually hurt that um, the unemployment rate. Just for those of you who know right now, according to the Economic Times, is under three percent in our country for the tech sector um, and the the jobs that a lot of these folks would be applying to. So uh, it's not as if there are a ridiculous number of open positions obviously with the COVID impact to the economy and many companies um there is a big asterisk on all this that absolutely is worth kind of keeping in your mind um again we've done a couple shows on the COVID economic impacts so i don't really want to dive too far down that trail again but um it, that's absolutely worth mentioning considering that um even though it's only under three percent now that number could absolutely go up so um there can be an argument i would argue you know say to be made for hey we need some of these skills um one of the other main arguments you hear is that, uh, if companies abuse this. They, it's not actually high skilled. It's low skilled. You know, cheap labor is what they're looking for. Uh, again, we're not going to get into the, any of the morals or ethics there. Um, I have my opinions, but we're, we're not going to talk about those here today. Um, I, I think that the, the most simple way to sum up why it matters, um, and this was in that, uh, uh, Economics Time article, and I'm sorry, the eFinance Careers article, um, but it's from Andrew Ng, who's the founder of Coursera, um, a big popular site that many of you probably heard of. Um, his quote simply, this is bad for innovation, will shatter dreams and disrupt lives. I, while there are absolutely impacts to the second and third point there about shattering dreams and disrupting lives that uh, absolutely you know should be considered and talked about, um, I'm going to stick a little bit more for the bad for innovation side for this today um, and really dive in there. So with that, as we move forward, that, that's a little bit about what it is, why it matters. Um, we're not going to get, again, too much into the politics, but um, I think it's would be a fair you know assertion to say that um, this does have something to do with November 2020 coming up in an election. Um, it absolutely has to do with the economic struggles of our country. Um, I think we all know when politics get too involved in the economy, things can get a little messy. Um, but Uh, one of the big kind of points right now is that a lot of people are trying to uh, just wait this out a little bit, for lack of a better term. Wait to early 2021, see where the economy is, see where the um, the election in november what happens there how it can impact so uh, a lot of people are taking this as a okay for the next six months this is what it is we're expecting something to change in 2021 um, either this will be extended and become something much more permanent it will will have a new administration potentially that could reverse it um, the economy could go any which way frankly right now um, i'd still say that you know we could see some impacts there but when i was sitting here thinking of this um, again i've had minimal experience with this in my past as a hiring manager at a couple of different companies companies, including at market scale. Um, but I I don't trust myself nearly as much as I trust some of the very, very smart, intelligent people out there who have come out and made statements. Um, saying, for lack of a better term, that this is not a good thing. Um, the head of con- Golden Sachs's consumer business, Marcus, came out with a pretty strong statement. Um, Boston Consulting Group came out um, to say, and their quote is, to say, we are angry and disappointed is an understatement. That's obviously not good to hear for a massive consulting group and a massive employer in the U.S. that's critical to our, uh, comp- our country and our economy. From the MIT Tech Review, uh, they quoted the Georgetown Center for Security and Emerging Tech, which is a great um, kind of educational think tank in a little bit of ways around this field. And they were calling out how key com- key competitors to the U.S., and they're talking about obviously China and other massive you know, uh, industries of the world, um, are going in an opposite way, and they're going to benefit from this because the U.S. is almost restricting its ability to advance. And then I think probably the, the biggest one that kind of opened my eyes was a group of organizations have all written the Trump administration saying that this is going to undercut their ability to grow and create jobs. And that list includes the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the National Association of Manufacturers, the American Medical Association, and the Association of American Universities. Um, Those are four of the largest organizations in the U.S. economy. And when usually one of these speaks up, people listen, when all four of them do, along with countless others that I don't have time to mention here, there has been a very, very clear Again, this is not an opinion, this is a fact, a clear, resounding feedback from that market, from the economy, from companies, from people, from leaders, that this is not necessarily a great thing to do, Um, that this is going to, if we're not careful, this could have severe negative impacts on the US for years to come if we aren't really careful about how we're dealing with these visas, how we're handling these workers, how we're handling these situations in general. So. With that, what do we really think the impact is? I've, I've told you kind of what it is. We've, we've heard a lot of people aren't happy, but what are these impacts? What are they talking about? The general uh, kind of high level piece is it's going to hurt the ability of companies to grow and innovate with top talent. Again, that's what we're talking about is um, very highly skilled workers that could really move uh, companies and projects and tools and softwares and you name it forward um, are maybe not going to be afforded that if this continues or this program expands. When I say uh, this program, I mean the cuts to the program, actually. Um, And if we restrict these further and further, it will have a long uh, standing impact, especially as we talk about here a lot in in diving into data, the data world. One particularly, uh, the MIT Tech Review was talking all about the U.S. falling behind in emerging fields, especially like AI. They had some great quotes and stats that really stuck out to me. Um, So they, they made the statement that you definitely cannot replace this with U.S. talent, and you might say well that's an opinion no actually unfortunately it's a they have some great facts here um so they quoted a marco polo which is a think tank um they did a great study of the ai world and the people who work in the quote-unquote ai world and again i think this is a great microcosm of the rest of the data analytics technology field 69 69 percent of usai workers graduated got their undergraduate degree abroad so almost seven out of ten people working in this emerging, again probably the the single most um, you know leading data technology and thing we're looking at out there. Sixty nine percent of those workers were from abroad. More than that, sixty seven percent of master's degrees and sixty four percent of PhDs um, that were awarded in AI relevant fields in the U.S. in the last, I believe, it said eight years were from foreign students. So again, we're talking about over two thirds of AI workers being from having an undergrad from abroad and just about two thirds of masters and PhD degrees in these relevant fields were from outside the US. So uh, there is clearly a lack of US talent and potential here. Two thirds of the people in this field are not from the US and that's great. That's actually, I think that's awesome because it shows the global reach, the global impact of data, Um, in my opinion, and in my uh, personal experiences, um, the more connected that we are with people, frankly, you need smart people working on this. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they talk like. It doesn't matter at all. You need smart people because the best results and the best teams um, have a great mix of that. And again, we're seeing that there is statistically a lack of people that have the education, that have the training, that have the skill sets in these fields, especially in AI. And again, you could you can expand that even though these are only specific stats from this one think tank study around AI workers. Again, I think you can translate to that to a lot of data relevant positions. I can tell you um, that there are a lot of people in our industry Um, Who have taken advantage of this visa program or similar programs like this, Um, and we've been able to acquire incredible talent. um, Again, at market scale and some companies I've worked at before because of these programs. So, um, personally, I I would have to agree with these stats and the assertion and all all these big organizations that just because we have, I will say, just because this is in place right now, this doesn't doom us. This isn't like, oh, it's too late. We've already, you know, the ship has sailed. Now we can survive throughout the end of 2020 by this, but this is something that needs serious consideration. It's already making a negative impact right now. And if it continues to be in place, especially as we look, I mentioned at the beginning of 2021, how the policies are gonna change, what we're looking at there could really, really impact um, the US's future in a lot of these emerging technologies and these emerging fields. Um, One last little stat for you here before we talk about a couple other countries who are on the other side of this um, is that uh, just so you get an idea of how many visas we're talking about here, um, for the last decade, there's been a pretty constant growth in the number of H-1B Visas per year that have been issued and active in the U.S. Um, we we're up to about 390,000 of them in 2019. Again, close to 400,000, 391,000. I think the number exactly was this year in 2020. We're capping it. And we're looking at about 94,000. Um, so again, we're we're looking at 25% of these visas being issued compared to previous years. Again, that doesn't mean that there's only 390,000 workers in 2019. It just means that's how many were issued that year. So obviously, there are people from prior years. Um, but again this is something that's been growing as America's tech sector continues to grow and boom. Um, and again, in my opinion, kind of lead the world and a lot of the awesome things that are going on. It has been fueled by these foreign workers. Um, and we could absolutely see an impact to that if these policies are in place long term. But we're going to wrap this up with a view from the other side. Um, again, this was a it was an opinion, piece in fortune. So we're not going to dive too, too much into an opinion. But it was talking about how Canada um, and even mentioned Australia as being another one um, relishes opportunity. Again, the Uh, The kind of tongue-in-cheek title there of America, you're making a big mistake in Canada, thanks you. Um, This is written by a Canadian uh, who was uh, kind of taking his opinion, but um, it's worth noting that Canada, Australia, they don't have the number of jobs, the quantity of jobs the US has in these fields. However, um, they have both made big strides, Canada specifically, even a decade ago, Canada had a big, you could almost call it a problem, I guess Uh, it is for Canada, um, of talent fleeing south, talent going south of the border, work in the U.S., especially in these high-tech finance sectors. Um, if you're really talented in Canada, probably the best jobs um, you'd move to the U.S. for this. However, Canada has really done a lot to invest in this, including the um, adoption of foreign workers, but also just general government support and investments in these fields and these technologies and these companies to where they've reversed that trend. And people are staying home in Canada now. And now more and more tech companies are expected to invest in Canada um, to go that way, To Canada is pretty much sitting there with open arms saying, hey, if the US won't take all these talented workers, we'll find room for you here. Um, and again, this isn't a immigration policy. We're not getting into that. We're not touching on any of that stuff. I don't really want to look at that side of it. What I want to kind of focus on and what I want you to leave you with for this topic is that the US industries unequivocally, statistically, are driven by foreign workers in a lot of these fields. Doesn't mean we couldn't do it without them, but we're not doing it without them today. And it is unreasonable to think that with just American employees, we could replace all of the talent and brilliant minds um, that have come over via this program, um, including many, many, many business leaders. It's not just people way down the line that you're thinking of, you know, punching in numbers. No, we're talking about huge business leaders too that would be impacted by this. So I, I sincerely hope, again, from the data perspective, that the entire industry and the world continues to grow and advance. I think it's so exciting um, when everyone can take a step forward together, wherever you are, who, whatever country it is, whatever company it is. And I fear that those of us here in America might be hampered long term of our ability to innovate and grow with this top talent if these programs are set in place long term. So keep an eye on it. Again, not a political topic, just uh, at least for us here diving into data, um, but we want to state the facts and acknowledge that, hey, this could really rock the data world in the coming years if something doesn't change. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to be right back to talk about higher education and the online movement and pretty much is it worth it? What is going on there? So stick around. We will be. right back with diving into data alrighty welcome back everyone all right enough about the H1B visas time to move on to a different visa joking but only kind of um our second topic this week is really about around online education um and we're going to really steer more towards the higher education um, component of online education as always again have great sources um, this comes from a market watch article i um, talking about a harvard and other elite schools going remote this fall an npr article summing up an ice release that talks about foreign students must leave if colleges go online only in the fall a Texas Tribune article, obviously here in Texas. I am uh, always uh, impartial to our Texas news sources here, but uh, uh, Texas Tribune released one called Schools Moving Online and Students Are Asking If It's Worth the Money. Um, again, I think it's a great microcosm for not just Texas, but the rest of the country and frankly the rest of the world. Uh, there's a PBS interview with New York University Professor Scott Galloway that I really, really enjoyed and learned a lot from. I'm going to pass along some stuff he did. Um, he's also, Scott Galloway, um, on Vice News, has a No Mercy No Malice TV show. It's a new show out there you can go check out if you're curious. And then our last source, Wall Street Journal, talking about the top employer of MBAs um, creates a degree of their own. Um, We'll get into that and what uh, EY is doing around that. Well, again, to stick with the visa theme um, quickly here as we start this, uh, there's a tie in with a K 1 visa um, potential issue that's come up um, in the last couple weeks. ICE, again, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency here in the U.S. stated that if a school is online only, so online only, a higher education institution, that students must return to their home country. And this is from NPR. So what they're saying is that um, a lot of these students who come over on K-1 visas, and I believe there are actually a number of other visas that apply to this, um, depending kind of on your situation and what you deal with. If you are a foreign student that is coming to an American university, um, you're able to get these visas uh, to attend school. However, if it is online only, you are not allowed to be in the country, This at least this semester. Um, you have to go back to your home country and you can take the online courses from there. Obviously, there are other things that go into that. But one of the big issues that pops up is, again, from that MarketWatch article, that a lot Of elite schools and a lot of elite talent that goes to those schools um, have already announced that they're pretty much going online only. Um, Obviously, Harvard and the Ivies have been one of the leaders of this. They were one of the leaders when the COVID first started moving to this. So, um, again, we're not getting into their decision to do that. It's just a matter of fact that a lot of these universities and institutions will be going online. So, there's there's absolutely a concern here that, I mean, frankly, I would feel pretty unwanted if i were a student who was attending a prestigious american university Um, i mean i worked really really hard my entire life to get in came over and did this i'm having to go home now i'm not really feeling wanted Um, again we're not going to get into the political side of it at all but uh, this is another little point to tie into our last story that this could thin out the talent pool in the future for american companies um, especially in emerging markets and technologies Um, Those have a disproportionately high percentage of foreign students compared to some of the other majors and um, you folks as a study at large universities. Um, So it's worth noting, it's worth considering um, seeing how that goes. Again, not actually in any way related to the H-1B issue, but another visa thing, Uh, lots of visas in the news these days. But I think more what I want to get into, um, again, this starts with that Texas Tribune article I was talking about, is what a lot of students in america are thinking right now i I, frankly i am very very glad that i am not a college student in america right now it's a tough time because a lot of them a lot of students and then also a lot of parents who maybe help support some of those students going to universities are sitting back and asking a very very understandable and reasonable question is this worth it is it really worth the money i'm paying for an online education what we're talking about here is again, this Texas Tribune article is only about Texas schools, but this applies to pretty much everywhere in the country. A lot of classes are going online for fall 2020. As I mentioned, some of the prestigious schools are going 100% online. Other ones, like my alma mater, the University of Texas, have made a good chunk of their courses online. Um, pretty much, I think they're offering some in person, some online. But a lot of students, again, this is as of today, these could all change depending on kind of the global COVID situation and the local COVID situation around these schools. But even though a lot of this stuff's going online, tuition's not changing. Tuition's staying the same. Schools need their money. They are requiring, you know, that that income from students. And what I think we're seeing is that a lot of people, as in early March, when schools kind of had to shut down for the rest of the year and shift to online early, there's a lot more acceptance. There's a lot more kind of inevitability that we don't really have another option here. You know, they're doing the best that they can. Um, they're going to try and make this work. Um, You know, they had to uh, shout out to all the teachers and professors, everyone in the education industry for the incredible job that everyone's done quickly adapting this spring. But now that we've had a little time, um, especially again, not necessarily talking about local school districts, which God bless them. I I know that it's still incredibly difficult for a lot of them to figure out what they're going to do. We're talking about um, schools like University of Texas, Texas A&M, top tier universities all around the U.S., regardless of state that they've had some time to adjust to this and we're still going online which again uh, a lot of them can't really blame for that but parents and students now it's not mid-semester this is a new school year a new semester they're finding a little bit harder to stomach that hey i'm going to pay this you know premium tuition at a lot of these universities for an online education you know uh, these schools aren't experts in online education i'm sure they've done a decent job of adapting to it and have some great resources available but why are you going to pay so much for this degree If it's all online, Uh, you know, what is the true value if you don't have the experience going to school and all that? And to dive a little further into this again, there's a PBS interview with Professor Galloway. Um, I highly encourage you go to YouTube and check it out if you can. But he was talking about all of this, about a 20 minute interview. But I again, take the time to watch that because it really does a good job of kind of tackling what a lot of parents and students are facing um and some of his advice that he had um there's some of the uh, advice or takes i guess you could say one it's actually a really good time to be on the wait list for a top tier university because there's a good chance that a lot less people will accept those enrollments or will do some type of deferred enrollment um something like that so if you're on a wait list of to a top university kind of on the line um this might actually be your lucky year you might actually be able to uh uh, you know uh, getting into that school that you really want to go to because they have a little more room when maybe it'd be more difficult for you to do so in previous years he also mentioned for students that it's never a better time for a gap year probably given all of the uncertainty all the things going on um, it's probably a perfect time for folks to consider hey Uh, If I was even considering a gap year, taking a year off, whether it's in the middle of my education, whether it's between high school and college, especially for incoming freshmen, it's probably the perfect time to let things shake out a little bit. Take that gap year, grow yourself personally, uh, do some other activities throughout this year, see where all the COVID stuff lands. but. One of his takes and what he really, really thought was that this is going to hurt mid-level universities the most. Frankly, uh, local community colleges, things like that, kind of at the low end of the spectrum. No disrespect at all meant by that, um, but schools at that area are probably still going to have local people who want to go. Um, that whether they're online or in person, the tuition costs are usually very reasonable at those. It's a great you know education for the cost um, all the time and will continue to be so. For the very top tier universities, the very large public state universities, the large private universities, the elite schools, the Ivies, this, that, and the other thing, they're all going to be fine realistically. They're going to have plenty of time um, to adjust. They have plenty of resources to invest in creating a pretty good experience. Yes, they might see some dips. I'm not saying they're going to come out of this unscathed, but for those top tier universities, in the long run, they're gonna be okay. They have, uh, you know, they have enough in the bank to uh, withhold any uh, temporary dips in revenue or admissions, um, so they're gonna be okay. What we're really gonna see potentially get hurt here is the mid level universities. So these smaller state schools, um, again, bigger than your community college, but not your uh, massive schools. Uh, a couple that were mentioned, in the Texas Tribune article um, around here, would be like the University of North Texas, Texas State down in San Marcos, schools of that nature that are, are still, again, they're great. Schools, but these are the ones that might really get hit. And the reason he said that is a couple things. One, they're going to lose some folks to that waitlist thing I mentioned earlier. Um, Again, I'm going to use a Texas example since it's local and I know it well. There are quite a few students I'm sure who are um, looking at you know UNT or Texas State, but they're also hoping to get into an A&M or a UT, um, a Texas Tech, a TCU, something like that. So they might lose some people that actually get the better opportunity to pop up there. They're probably going to lose some people just generally who are going to look at things like gap years and we're talking about, and then they're also going to lose people down to, they're pretty much going to say, Hey, I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to pay to go to this, you know, mid tier school this year. I'm just going to go to a local community college, something like that. So they are going to lose people down. Um, so they might lose it from kind of every side you could almost say. And I'm very, very curious. He had uh, professor Galloway had some interesting stats and takes on this that I'll let you go reference in that interview if you choose to watch it. But Really what it boils down to is what is the true value for tuition if you don't have the experience that comes with it at a lot of these bigger and middle schools um, experience in terms of living off on your own, which is a major step in a lot of young adults' lives and going to school. That's a big component of it. The true value with no experience and things like you know sports, uh, a lot of people, again, personally, you guys know I love sports if you ever listen to the show. Um, one of the biggest reasons I loved going to UT was being involved in all the sporting events and the... Uh, The D1 atmosphere I I thought was awesome. It was so cool to be able to go to all those and experience all that. A lot of that is part of the college experience, and a lot of folks, maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously, are willing to pay, frankly, the exorbitant tuitions at a lot of these schools, um, all up and down, pretty much any mid-tier, top-tier, or higher-tier university, because you get everything else that goes with it you get this experience you grow as an adult it's not yes the education is absolutely an important piece but it's not the entire piece but now in the world that we live in it kind of is the entire piece that's all you're getting is you're taking a you know a zoom class for you know a couple of different things and is the education you're going to get through that online course really worth it and really justify um, what you're paying for that when potentially you could take almost the same online course at your local community college for you know one-tenth or less of the price. And with the experience and with the way things are going, maybe it's kind of the same content, the same materials, the same learning experience for you. So why are you going to pay so much to do it? All very valid points. And I think it's pretty clear um, that there's going to be some interesting things happening in the higher education world. One more little take on this um, we're going to add in to wrap up the show is that Wall Street Journal article I mentioned that, uh, you know, non-traditional education paths um, are going to become much more common. I think, in the future. Um, Smaller schools are more adapted to online learning sometimes. There are obviously a lot of schools out there that have been entirely built online or around the remote experience, so those definitely have an opportunity to thrive um, when there are concerns about on-campus learning. New forms of learning and less reliance on an old university system um, is kind of one of the things mentioned and how I see this advancing personally. My prediction is that in 10 years, the education system in America looks massively different than it does right now. One of the first examples I saw of this, something I think is really, really cool they're doing, EY, formerly Ernst & Young, um, very large consulting firm, offices all over the nation, including one down the street from us in downtown Dallas, they're actually now creating their own MBA program for free for employees what a company is creating an mba program yes exactly so this isn't they're partnering with a couple educational institutions but this is a ey has an mba program for their folks they're creating and this is not going to be you they're not paying for you to go down the street to your local you know college or university or whatever it is um to get it no this is through ey it's going to be really interesting to see programs like this take off because I think you're going to see a ton of investments from companies in alternative forms of education, in certifications and programs and online learning, um, all the things that they're going to do to upskill their workers. I think that generally is going to grow, but this is even to the extreme beyond that. This is a full-on master's degree, a MBA, which is not a degree to be taken lightly, or you know, it's a pretty significant uh, step in someone's career and life and education for free for their employees through their system. Obviously, there are good questions. Is it going to have, you know, is it going to hold the same weight as an MBA from a traditional university? Um, What's the impact in the future? Are these, you know, is this thing transferable? Let's say I get my MBA at EY, or is it really going to matter to another company looking to hire me? Those are all things that I think EY would tell you yes. um, I would tell you, let's wait and see. I'm curious to see how this really shakes out long-term. But again, it's fascinating because it's a new step. It's a completely non-traditional education path. And I think it kind of signifies what the future is going to look like in this space. People are going to get creative. People are going to do different things. Um, There are going to be multiple billion-dollar companies that come up in the online learning in a new learning environment ecosystem. I think our academic system is going to get flipped on its head, at least when it comes to higher education. Um, And some of those questions that uh, Professor Galloway called out just for this year, I think this might force people to look and take a step back and say, hey, even when we're going on campus and things are normal and hopefully the world's back to normal soon and all that, is this still worth the money Um, as tuition rates continue to rise? Again, this has been a topic. COVID has just exacerbated uh, the urgency around it and what we're able to really do there. So. Anyway, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be curious to see how that shakes out Um, for anyone working at EY. If you have any other details about this and want to share them with your local diving into data host, would love to hear it. Reach out, shoot me a message on LinkedIn or something. But um, again, I I feel very confident in saying that the world is changing in online education. Um, So buckle up. We're in for a ride. That is all the time we have this week here on Diving Into Data. Uh, again, our two main topics this week for our episode, the times they are changing, shout out Bob Dylan, um, for employees and education um, around the restriction of H-1B visas, how that's going to impact what it means, um, especially in the data and technology world, what that means and what that could uh, lead to a future of, um, as well as the changing higher education system and movement, um, whether it's talking about the K-1 visas and some foreign students or whether it's just frankly, is this worth it at this point, given the cost of tuition and what you're going to get if you're doing primarily online courses and things of that nature and non-traditional paths opening up and maybe being accelerated by this. Um, So I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have any thoughts, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn as always. Other than that, I will talk to you guys again in about a week. Take care and see you soon.